This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies. Amplified. Welcome back to another episode of Black and Privileged in America podcast, Power, Love, and Money Conversations Relevant to Black People, sponsored by Infinite Resources. I'm your host, Abana Sankofa. My guests today have close ties to the Palestinian community, Sammy El Baruti and Maria Reves. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So glad you're here. Could you please, um, I guess we'll start with you, Maria. Could you please tell our listeners about you and why the Israeli-Hamas conflict matters to you? Um, I'm not Palestinian or anything, but I am part Lebanese. And uh, my grandfather was from Lebanon. And growing up in my household, it was a different story. You know, our narratives matter. The stories we're told throughout our lives matter. And when it ever came on the news about um, conflict in you know, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I remember asking my parents, what is this? What is it about? And, and them just saying, well, imagine someone came into your house and, and told you it's no longer your house and you had to move and whatever. Um, so I got a much more honest, I think, um, a more honest um, approach to, to this history of the founding of the state of Israel than what most Americans got. You know, it's it's um, it's been pretty one sided. Yeah, so, and yeah. we'll get we'll get into that because you know that's that's so the yeah, conversation. That was a long winded answer. That's I'm okay. Sorry. We're here for it. Yeah. <laughs> we are here for it. Sammy El Baruti. Yes, uh, Sammy El Baruti. I was actually born in Alexandria, Egypt. I came to this country when I was five. Uh, my father was very fortunate, very poor in Egypt but was very smart and good at school, was able to get a scholarship to go to university in, in Cairo. From there, uh, he got a, a World Bank scholarship to go to University of California, Berkeley, and that's where he got his master's and PhD and met my mom. Oh, the and love so, story, I the love The love that. story. <laughs> and she is a third generation Californian, um, went to Berkeley schools from kindergarten up and graduated University of California, Berkeley with a major in languages, moved back to Egypt where they had their two kids. Uh, and then in 1968, they'd had enough, of course, 67 war. Uh, they came back here, and that's where my, I was five years old when we came here. Okay. Why does the Israel-Hamas conflict matter to you? Because I believe that people deserve the right to free choice. I believe that um, what we're doing right now and what we're supporting in Israel is horrific in terms of the way Palestinians are being treated. Uh, it is apartheid, uh, period, and uh, I just I, I don't understand how people can't see it and why we can't find a solution that honors all life. So thank you both for sh kind of opening us up and and sharing about yourselves and why this is important to you. Um, it's interesting that you bring up apartheid, Sammy, because uh, last show we had a guest. Uh, talking about this same exact conflict from a Jewish American perspective. And he could not agree that what's happening right now in Israel is apartheid. So can you talk a little bit about why you feel that way? Yes. If you look at the definition of apartheid, which I happen to have with me. Oh, yes. I'm prepared. I did my homework. You're an educator. <clears throat> That's what you do. Yep. Okay. Very quickly, I do want to say my opinions are my own. And as an educator in the Des Moines area, I, I want to make that this is my opinion and other people have a right to be wrong. No. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so okay. when you look at apartheid, uh, apartheid is defined as a system, uh, an institutionalized regime of oppression and domination by one racial group over another. Well, that's what you have. To remain a Jewish state, Israel must be, for lack of a better term, racist because the day they give equal rights to every Palestinian within the borders that they now control, their Jewish identity is gone because they will no longer be a majority Jewish state. You know, I've heard similar sentiments that if Israel was to ever become a democracy and everyone had the right to vote, mm -hmm. then it would look a hell of a lot different than right. it looks now. 
Maria, do you have any thoughts on that? Apartheid? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on yeah. that. Another thing I want to also say, I should have said in the intro, I, I go to Gaza as often as I'm allowed in, and I do humanitarian work there. I even took my child there in 2017. Um, we were granted access through UNRWA. Um, she was 10 at the time, um, and I was actually supposed to be there uh, when October 7th happened, but... Uh, you were supposed to be I was supposed in Gaza. To be there. I haven't been there since March of 2020. I was supposed to be there, but you have to get permission from three different entities to enter Gaza. Israel's the most difficult, and they often deny um, admission into Gaza because they don't want the world to see the conditions. Um, and they just never got back to us about giving us permission. Usually they say yes or they say no, but this one particular time they never answered and so we didn't go. Do you feel like that was a blessing in disguise? I do feel like it was a blessing in disguise, but I've also faced a great deal of guilt. I should have been there. Mm. Whenever we go there, we know that it's risky, and we are prepared to take those risks, and you see the suffering of the people there. Um, there's nothing um, more than I would like to do than to take away some of their stuff, suffering. And also to talk about the apartheid issue, um, you know, people can disagree with that, but it doesn't mean that they're right if they disagree. You know, like we can disagree and say the world is flat, not round. It doesn't mean that that's true. Um, there have been several international organizations that have done several years independent studies on this and came with the same results that Israel is an apartheid state. And it's um, even... Bet Salem, which is an Israeli human rights group, came up with that same, uh, that same, those same findings, calling it an apartheid state. Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the United Nations, like all of these people are not wrong. They are using scientific method. They are studying this over many years, and they come up with the same results. It's been reproduced. Israel is an apartheid state. When I go there, I travel as a Palestinian, not an Israeli and not an, an American. And there are streets I cannot walk on as because I'm a Palestinian. There are roads I cannot drive on. The cars I get in have a different color license plate. Um, to go from Bethlehem to Ramallah should take 40 minutes tops with the most traffic. If you're Palestinian, you have to go in some roundabout way on dangerous roads and go through checkpoints where you may be searched, you may not be. You may be interrogated and separated from your group. You may not be. We were. Um, you were you were separated and we were all separated. Uh, yeah, this happens all the time. Um, so it it, wow. take, it it takes two two and a half three hours on a good day to get somewhere. It should take forty minutes. You know. So tell me, that's not apartheid. You have you're not a, a full citizen. You don't have equal rights. You don't have access to vote. Which, um, Palestinian people living under uh, under this system, if they are treated to military law, not civil law. This is military incredible. law is way different than civil law. Yeah. So this is serious. And I'm sorry, I take offense with even the media uh, term Israel Hamas war. Okay, so okay, what that's would, gross. What it's what real, makes it? What is the appropriate context? It's a genocide. Oh, it's an ethnic it's cleansing and a genocide of the Palestinian people from their land in Gaza and the West Bank. Let's not forget what's happening in the West Bank as we watch the horror horror movie unfold. That's Gaza. Mm -hmm. So no, it's not a war. A war implies equal sides. The sides are not equal. They are so completely unequal. I didn't mean to steal the thunder. <laughs> and I great. took off my headphones because one of the sides isn't working. I can just hear you guys better without. No problem. So can you describe, Maria, some of the suffering that you witnessed? I know you spoke about in, just massive surveillance there limited inhibited mobility Massive surveillance when you get into gaza there's always the buzz of drones overhead because they're always watching you recording israel knows everybody who leaves and enters gaza because they have complete control israel controls 100 percent of the air land and sea of gaza um they'll say oh we don't occupy it we physically left in 2005 they did but by 
international definition, when they control 100% of what goes in and out, that is occupation. They put God, they know how many calories to allow in to Gazans so they don't starve. So they stay just above the starvation level. They call that, they, they go in every few years and they do that even more frequently and they drop bombs on you. They call it mowing the lawn. Just mowing so they, the lawn. Mowing the lawn so Gazans cannot get that powerful. I was able to, <clears throat> in October of 2018, witness the Great March of Return. It was organized by civil society people in Gaza, not Hamas, not any group there, just people. They said, we were going to protest nonviolently. I got to go and see it every Friday, which is their day of, of rest um, in, in the Muslim world. Every Friday, they did this great march of return at the, great, at the barrier between Gaza and um, Israel, the eastern side. Um, and they, would, they went there when I saw it. It was led by women, all these Palestinian women, standing with their thobes on, their Palestinian traditional dress, with megaphones leading this. They were arm in arm with each other. There are people, children, young men, young women dancing dabki, um, the traditional Palestinian dance. They were burning tires to obscure the snipers, Israeli snipers, who would shoot at them and kill them. They did this every Friday for over a year, demonstrating nonviolently. There were some people, some of the time, who were violent, but the majority of the demonstrators were nonviolent. How did Israel react? Every single time almost, they assassinated people. Not only regular people peacefully demonstrating, they assassinated medical workers, journalists, and then later on that night and following days, they would drop missiles on us. That night I saw, in October, the Great March of Return, that Friday, that night, 110 missiles were dropped on us by Israel. 110. 110 missiles in the span of about 11 hours. That's terrifying. Wow. Okay. Now, now that's nothing compared to what's compared happening now. Compared to what is happening now. And I was safe. So that's what's happening. I'm sorry I'm getting really passionate, mm. but um, no, I take issue with the words we use because words matter. It is not Israel-Hamas war. And I, I, I'm going to say this, and I want it to be taken in where it comes from. It comes from a place of great love. <clears throat> and as an American, I can't see them suffer anymore. You know, $10 million a day of our tax dollars goes to Israel to directly for the direct military occupation of Palestinians. Okay, that's directly how much money goes. So they're suffering. If my government didn't supply the money, their suffering would almost end pretty quickly. That's very, uh, and I take issue with words when people say condemn Hamas. You condemn the actions of the Israeli government for the past 75 years, and then I will condemn Hamas. Sammy. What are the actions of the Israeli government? And I'm asking this question because there are people who are listening who have no idea what's going on or they've only seen American media and their context is what it is. Right. So what are the actions of the Israeli government? The Israeli government right now is a very right-wing government <coughs> led by Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, they, their vision is a purely Jewish state with no Palestinian entity of any kind. Um, the two-state solution for all practical purposes is dead because there just isn't enough land left that doesn't have settlements on it to have that opportunity. And that was intentional, in my opinion. Um, you're, a lot of the settlers are very radicalized. Uh, in 1994, a settler walked into a mosque and slaughtered 29 worshipers during Ramadan. Um, at his funeral, his rabbi said that a million Palestinian lives were not worth one Jewish fingernail. That's a quote. Uh, this is the mindset that you have. Uh, when President Biden has to say, I emphatically told the Israeli government that they need to protect the Palestinians in the West Bank, why would an American president have to say that if there weren't already problems, not even where the, where the fighting's happening, but there are Palestinian uh, people in that area who are being killed by settlers who see it as an opportunity, all of this chaos is opportunity to go ahead and go after the land they want to take. 
I do want to bring up one thing because you brought up Gaza, and I did some research on the size of Gaza. Gaza is 140 square miles. And I've read like it's the size of New Jersey. Oh, it's less than or that. Rhode no, Island. No, no, no. Can no, I no, tell no. you? Can oh, I t- can Washington D.C. Rhode I, Island. I, Rhode Island is nine times larger than Gaza. Really? And the population is uh, what a million? I have I have the numbers. I have okay, numbers here you, for you. Because I, I I gave a presentation I, on this for years. I put this that together. Was my thing. Thank okay. you. Please go. No problem. Uh, 140 square miles. Mm-hmm. Polk County, Iowa, is 572 square miles. Four times as large. They have 2.3 million people. We have 480,000 people. We, they have 20 times the density of people. When you drop bombs there to say we're trying to protect civilians is about the most nonsensical statement you can make. Yeah, you're you're not protecting yeah. anyone. You are mm-hmm. dropping bombs literally into a barrel full of people and saying we're mowing the lawn. Fish in a barrel. Um, to step back a second as far as the, how ludicrous some of the laws are, that um, the Israeli government imposes, the military imposes on Palestinians. For example, in Gaza, um, one of the times I went there, um, it was illegal for them to be sent in pasta and cilantro. Oh, my God. Because terror, they could be used. There were a terrorist threat in some way. Um, there was another example I was going to give. Oh, like now with the prisoner exchange. Well, really, I mean, the prisoner exchange where... Uh, Hamas r- insisted uh, women and children in Palis- in Israeli jails get prisons get released. Is Israel keeping up their end of the bargain? I, I feel like I've heard in, in the time they are that releasing. they've done it, they've released 150 and rearrested 133. Rearrested? Well, arrested other youth. I don't know if it's rearrested um, the ones they've released. Not always. Why the are ones we not hearing released. about that? In Good Western question. Media. Why is the media not covering that? Um, but they've also the Israeli uh, government has said you'll be re-arrest- rearrested if you show joy or celebration because you're free. They've banned the use of candy. I am not making this stuff up. C- CNN Go actually did a story yeah. about that, and they actually showed where the Israeli soldiers came in and tore down all these celebratory, all the decorations for this woman who's being released after like 13 months. Uh, and they tore it all down, and, fla- and they dragged away the uh, reporters who wanted to be there for it because they don't want people to see this. You cannot watch mainstream media here. It is so biased. Um, Al Jazeera English is what I've been watching since October 7th. And they cover everything. All sides. One, All sides. Yeah. One of the things that Of I everything think. in the world. Not yeah. just that. Mm-hmm. You'll get smarter about everything in the world if you if you spend one day on Al Jazeera instead of whatever you're listening to. Oh, here. for sure, for sure. I I know that Al Jazeera CNN, covers what's CBS, happening in the Congo, NBC, whatever. Yeah. Even NPR is biased in their coverage of this issue. They've gotten marginally better, but they're still pretty biased. One of the things I think is important to bring up because you talk about the prisoner exchange. So 150, uh, sorry, 300 prisoners were identified by Israel to potentially be released. 80% of those prisoners had never been charged or tried. They're just sitting they're, in they're jails what's or called prisons. Detained. Uh, the longest detainee, I was reading about it today, has been detained without trial, without due process, for 102 months. That's over eight years. They grabbed, these, they grabbed children, literally ch- The youngest one was eight years old. Grabbed off the street, they threw a rock. They're put in a cell, and they're held. They can hold them up to six months, according to the courts, and they can go back and then re-up it another, every six months, and they can just keep re-upping it as I'm long sure as they want to. I'm sure there's no recourse for the mother of an, 18, uh, an eight-year-old no. who is Gazan. And they've got all the guns. Or West Bank. Yeah. Or West Bank, yeah. 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 Oh. Or East Jerusalem. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. Th- this is th- this is the reality. This is what it's been like to be Palestinian for seventy five years, and now the world's like in the West. They're like, oh, this is what it's been. I mean, ever since I've been going there, this is what I've been uh, talking about to people and trying to get people to understand how important this is. As Americans, this is our responsibility to to end it. As the funders. As the funders. As the funders. If we said no more, it would end like that. What is the Palestinian-American community in our local community, in Des Moines, Iowa, doing? Or what what is the, the sense that you're feeling locally about what's happening 
in Israel right now? I would say, and I don't know so directly, but we know that young Palestinian boy in Illinois was stabbed to death. We know there's a lot of, obviously, there's anti-Semitic violence of all kinds, anti-Jewish violence and anti-Muslim violence. Uh, I think there's a lot of fear right now. Uh, Does it remind you of post 9-11? No, because post 9-11, George Bush came out and said, you know, anyone who tramples on the rights of any of our Muslim brothers will face the full wrath of law. And we're not hearing those words. And by the way, I'm, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a huge fan of W, but that was one time I was proud to be an American because he stood up for that. We have to change the conversation. We, I watched a video the other day. It was heartbreaking. I'm, Kim, my wife, was bawling. Uh, it's this grandfather holding his baby granddaughter, three, three years old. The granddaughter, his granddaughter and his grandson, five years old, were killed when a rocket hit their house. The mom was in intensive care, and the older sibling was in intensive care. The grandfather is holding this baby, bawling, opened her eye, kissed her goodbye, all of this, and you saw a video of them playing together before all of this happened. And somebody had posted a comment on there that said, I'm not going to have sympathy for these Palestinian scum. This was a three-year-old child, beautiful three-year-old child. Perfect. How do you, you know, there's a reality that we're looking at here, and, and this has happened all over the world. If you can dehumanize a group of people, you can justify any action against them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is true. We're talking slavery. We're talking the Albanians and the Turks. We're talking the Jews and the Holocaust. Let's, let's be clear. But here's, here's some quotes from um, Israeli leaders since this all started. Right now, we're at a death toll of 14,532. Over 6,000 of them are children. 6,000 children. Children are dead so far in Gaza. 4,000 women. Um, you know, if you talk about an eye for an eye, right now it's, you take my eye, I take your whole family. It's like a mob thing. Um, here's one from Yov Gallant, who's the defense minister. We are fighting human animals and we're acting accordingly. From Wait a minute. Who said that? This is Yov Gallant. He's the defense minister for Israel. And what did he say again? Read that one more time. That weeks ago. We are we are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly. This is this is they've made their intent for genocide clear. Mm -hmm. And normally it's very difficult to prove intent for genocide in the international criminal court. But I mean, this is why we need to listen to other sources of media because this is we've been talking about this for a month on Al Jazeera on electronic intifada. Democracy Now! is a, is in the U.S., based out of New York, Amy Goodman. That's about the only uh, American source I have found that is fair. I was watching Democracy Now! a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Ta-Nehisi Coates had been She's over uh-huh. to uh, the, West the West Bank, and he couldn't believe what he saw, and he was fearful to speak on it. He, he admitted that he was fearful about speaking on what he witnessed, but he said, I'm paraphrasing his words, that um, his moral compass to speak up was stronger than the fear. Mm-hmm. Because as black people, and again, this is power, money, and love conversations relevant to black people. How is it relevant to black people? Because black people in the United States understand oppression. Mm-hmm. And so when people are oppressed, we can recognize that and find solidarity there. So, oh my goodness, um, do you think um, dialogue is even a possibility? I mean, in the context of what you said, Maria, it's not a war, it's a genocide. So can we dialogue our way out of genocide? Dialogue with whom? Pulling, pulling the, the stakeholders to a proverbial table I and think saying, let's talk about it. I think a solution is yeah. the only solution. And what would that look like? Well, a, a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire. Uh, and then I think we need to get all people to the table and let Palestinians use their own voices about who they want to bring to the table and it's probably not going to be the Palestinian Authority. Um, it's probably going to be someone else. And I think the whole world needs to let that happen. 
let the Palestinians come to the table and determine their own future. You know, a two-state solution can happen if Israel's prepared to go back to the, you know, 1967 borders and dismantle settlements. If they're not prepared to do that, then a one-state solution is totally viable. And every Palestinian I've asked, every single time I've gone there, I say, what's the solution? And that same thing they say, the same exact thing, wherever I am, East Jerusalem, West Bank, Gaza, make it one state, call it Israel. Give us the same rights. Give us rights. Give us the same rights that the Israelis have. They're not looking to kick anybody off the land. They're not looking to murder anybody. They're not looking for anything extra. They're looking for the same rights. So what happens Basic to Hamas? Basic human rights. What happens to Hamas? Yeah, because they are, um, who knows? I mean, right now, the, the reporting is that Hamas is headquartered out of Qatar. And running their operation from there to do their deeds in Gaza right now. Hamas so is a resistance organization that really, um, I don't know, do they have headquarters? I believe that you're right. I believe they're, they're in Qatar right now. Um, the problem we have is that the Palestinian people have not had an opportunity to, to voice their desires since 2006 when the election happened. When more than half the population is under 19, that means the vast majority of Palestinians never had the chance to vote for their own, for their own leadership. Um, when all they have is Hamas in front of them, what do you want them to do? There aren't options. Uh, anyone else who comes up is, is put down. To answer your earlier question, the only real solution is a two-state solution. I truly believe Israel has no desire for that two-state solution because they would have to give up so much. So what would Israel have to give up? They'd have to I mean, really, what would they have to give up to accommodate a two-state solution? Millions of settlers who have now moved into what was Palestinian lands um, uh, that they were, the Palestinians have been kicked out of. They would have to go back to some borders because right now there isn't enough Palestinian territory left to create a viable state. There just isn't enough. And all, you know, let, let's be honest. The Middle East is about water. Yeah. If you control the water, you control the economy, you control life. Right now, the water, Israel's made certain they control the water everywhere. Even rainwater. It's illegal for Palestinians to collect rainwater yes. because it belongs to the Israeli state. It, that was just out when the rains started happening a few days ago. Yeah. So, okay. So we have a people who are completely restricted mm -hmm. from living. Subjugated, yeah. restricted. Yes. No freedom of movement. None. In Gaza, the uh, unemployment rate for people 18 to 34 is 70 percent, seven zero. Uh, for ev the general population, it's like 45 percent. Um, there's you. I knew entrepreneurs. A friend, Ahmed. Um, he doesn't live in Gaza anymore, but he's in his mid 20s. He started a. a program called like fluent um where he would teach gazans english and i saw the classrooms and everything it was beautiful and uh, two weeks after i left israel bombed it destroyed the the program that the, he the built. whole building that yeah that he was it was an office building it wasn't hamas headquarters i reflect on my last show where my guest a jewish american said it is not a genocide it is war my guest said it is war there is ca there are casualties there are there is going to be a loss of life um what is your response to that and then also he said something else i want to i want to get your response to but what is your response to him saying this is not a genocide it is war um well, I can go if you want. For, first of all, October 7th, what happened was horrible. Terrible. Okay? Was yes. terrible. But after further um, investigation and as we see things leak out, um, the Israeli military was responsible for quite a few of the deaths of their own civilians on that day. Not all of them, of course. Okay, and they tried to say that... You're referring to, like, friendly fire? 
not just friendly fire, using um, their tanks and stuff to level houses and kibbutzes. This is all available online. Go to Al Jazeera, go to the electronic intifada.net. It's based out of Chicago. Um, go to, there's so many other sources you can get this information. So yes, that was bad. Um, but you're, you're dealing with two completely unequal sides. The, the weapons Hamas has access to are nothing like um, the weapons Israel has access to. Israel, a few weeks ago, uh, one of the people in their cabinet threatened to drop just one nuclear bomb to get rid of things. Well, now they finally admit they have nuclear weapons with that statement. They've said for decades they haven't. And there's actually an Israeli whistleblower named Mordecai Benunu who's been suffering because he blew the whistle decades ago about that, about them having nuclear weapons. And they said, no, we don't. And he's living, you know, in he's living in, in like the West Bank or East Jerusalem, on, and he's like house arrest, basically. Um it's completely unequal, and under all of the international definitions of genocide and ethnic cleansing, more genocide, um, this fits. It does fit. It, it fits I mean, this, like a glove. this fits, you know. I'm sorry, go ahead, Sam. No, I didn't mean to take too right. much time. No, you're good. Um, I, think, I think really it's the, the inequity of uh, ability, of force. When you have kids throwing rocks at tanks getting shot to death, you know, that's not a war. Um, you, there is no equity in how anybody can handle this. They're, they're, they have no resources. If a Palestinian goes into Israel and commits a suicide attack, the Israeli military will march into wherever that person's family is, even the family who knew nothing about it. They will bulldoze the, the home so those people are now homeless. Israel does not allow concrete and other building materials to enter into Gaza or the West Bank, which means they can never rebuild their home. So you are now doing collective punishment, which is against international law. You cannot punish a family for the actions of one person, but they do it all the time. They punish an entire society for the actions of a few. The UN is an interesting inst institution because it has these suggestions in place, really well-worded suggestions, but it truly has no teeth to enforce right. them. Interesting is a very good word for it. Yeah. As long yeah. as the United States can yeah. veto whatever they the want to veto, the far too much. Then, well, yeah. and the five, the five security council, security council exactly. countries all have that power, which basically handcuffs the UN in many ways. And we will. This country stands by Israel, right or wrong, regardless of the consequences, uh, for whatever re for whatever reason. And I think we need we need to open people's eyes and say. There is true human suffering happening here that is unnecessary. There is a solution, but it requires Israel to accept changes and accept uh, a different solution than they're looking at. Well, to just accept other people. Yes. Yeah, the common you humanity. Know, I mean, that's it. Just give everybody the same rights that, that they have. That's all. That's all that's wanted. As far as talking um, about what you were just talking about, I just lost my train of thought. About bulldozing the homes? Yes, bulldozing the home. Collective punishment. Thank mm -hmm. you. For example, in Gaza, they haven't had an airport for close to 20 years. Um, for in Gaza, if there's no movie theaters. Um, in Gaza, you have around four, on a good day, eight hours of electricity a day. If, if an occupying... And um, Israel controls that. If an occupier like Israel can shut off your water, shut off your electricity, shut off your food, that's occupation, that is genocide, and they're doing it. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I would imagine it's hard if you are a person who grew up believing in what you th were told Israel is especially if you were Jewish and your identity was tied with that. But it does nobody any favors to tie Judaism to Zionism. So let's talk about Zionism. Maria, thank let's you. Let's talk about Zionism. Is Zionism racism? And why do you, either way, why? Go ahead, Sam. Uh, I, I would say yes, because the Zionist ideal is that there will be a purely Jewish state uh, that will have complete control of that territory, that there will not be others who are not. That, to me, um, screams that we, you know, it's a racist ideology that says we're, we're the chosen people, we get this, everyone else out. 
and that doesn't work. We have living human beings there who have been there for thousands of years, um, who have you know a, a claim on this land and who are having it taken out from under them. Um, Zionism, in its ugliest form, is does propose genocide. They they want to end Palestinian um, residency in in what they consider their country. Now, many many. Israelis are not Zionists. Many Israelis right, I don't want think to find actions, a solution. Yeah, I don't think the actions of, or I, at least right. I would hope that the actions of the Israeli government do not reflect every single Not every Israeli single person. person. Now, they're, they're duly elected. Yeah. Uh, so, But, of course, a lot of time the election comes out of fear. Um, well, that sounds and, familiar. And the go- yeah. Yes, and, <laughs> and the government stokes that fear to keep their power because, and again, we've seen it in this country in the last you know, a couple of elections also, uh, you know, they, they don't send us, they don't send us your, their best. They send, you know, rapists and murderers. Um, that's what's, what's scary is, is you've got a group, a very radical group at the top. Now people who are, p- are part of a group that literally advocated for the death of Palestinians, that, that, that political group was made illegal, but a lot of those people are now in government thanks to the last election where Netanyahu did not get enough to start a government. He had to go to the far, far right to put together a coalition government. Called the Kahanis. The Kahanis, the right. The Kahanis movement, and yeah. Um, it is really, really interesting, you know, the parallels between our... our. Uh, but Zionism in practice is, is an ethnocratic um, system of where you have to be a member of one particular group to have full rights, full citizenship. Now you'll have Zionists come back and argue and say, well, 20% of Israeli citizens are Arabs or of Palestinian descent. That's true too. However, if you speak with them, um, they don't have full equality either. They have more than like the Gazan or the Palestinian in West Bank. They may have papers or whatever, you know, but they don't have... It's not the same. Um, and, and since October 7th, Israel's been going and arresting Palestinian Israeli citizens um, who even like a social media post that's asking for a ceasefire. This is risky business. I mean, honestly, this conversation we're having is pretty risky because sure. there we, we live in a polarized society. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of want to go a little personal with the two of you and I want you to kind of share what are you risking by having this conversation I know Maria you have on a beautiful scarf right now kafia a kafia it's absolutely beautiful can you talk about that and th- and then talk about the risk for um for your um thought process and the way you believe and for the things that you're passionate about in the Palestinian people and just my respecting first, humanity. My first time to Gaza was in January of 2016. Uh, but I've always been um, c- kind of an activist about this issue. It's always been important to me. I had a lot of friends in college who were Palestinian. Um, and just our life stories were so different. It really um, touched me. And then after my first time to Gaza, I, I, um, I, I couldn't... It, it changed me forever. Um, so often at night... I couldn't move. I I couldn't have. I had no words. I couldn't move because just bearing witness to what I saw was horrible. Um, and one thing I'm always constantly um, grateful for is the Palestinian people are very able to determine the difference between a government and the people of that country. They have always. I I don't know. And that was I. I kept saying what I say every time I go there is I don't know if I could be this nice to an American. You know, knowing that this is you know my suffering is being caused by their government and their tax dollars. Um, risking myself, I feel ashamed to even think about or acknowledge the risk because it's nothing compared to what Gazans face. Um, but, for example, I have loved ones. I call them family. They call me family. Um, the Two of the boys, they call me their second mom. Um, but Mona, she's actually in Cairo right now because she – has a brain tumor and she needs to get it taken care of. And that's where she was when October 7th happened um, with one of her sons who's in dental school there. And the rest of the family is in Gaza. Um, 
and she saw the news of the the three students being shot in Vermont for wearing kufiyas and speaking part Arabic and part English, and she she's telling me over and over, don't wear your kufiya, don't do it, don't we know you we know you love us, we know don't just keep yourself safe and. I, I that's so silly. I mean, I know there's a risk. I'm a business owner. You know, I've given this presentation on Gaza that I give about 40 times. Uh, people have been disgusted with me. I've been spat on. Um, people have screamed at me. Uh, I'm sure it's, I've paid a price in other ways, but I don't. It's nothing compared to what I've seen. Thank you. That's incredible. It's not. It's not. Incredible. It's what a human being does. Sammy, what are you risking? That's I thought a lot about that when you and I first contacted you contacted me about this. Um, I am very fortunate to have the privilege of being an American citizen, of having the ability to speak my mind. Obviously, uh, deranged people are everywhere, and who knows what that could bring. Um, but I thought of the old poem. Uh, you know, they came for my neighbor, and I said nothing. They came for my other neighbor, and I said nothing. When they came for me, there was nobody left to say anything. Uh, if I'm not willing to speak my truth, if I'm not willing to talk about this, if I'm not willing to try to change minds and make a difference, then how can we ever expect to solve any of these problems? And that's regardless of whether it's it's what's happening right now in, in Gaza, uh, whether it's what's happening in this country with, with a lot of the things that are going on. We have a moral obligation to stand up and speak our truth. We have to do it because who else is there? As an Arab American, if I'm not going to stand up for other other Arabs, shame on me. It's worth the risk. It's absolutely worth the risk. Well, thank you, too. I, I just feel like, and Maria, I, I hear what you're saying. It's not incredible, but it is. Because, I mean, I get where you're coming from. But truly, in a, in a world where silence is golden, the fact that you live out loud what you believe, that means something to me. It sets a powerful example. You too, Sammy. Um, I'm going to read just a bit from my book recommendation. It's called Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Ferguson, Palestine, and the Foundations of a Movement, written by Angela Davis. And I just want to read a brief um, excerpt and then maybe get your thoughts on it and then also any book recommendation that you have as well. So just for context, uh, this book is a compendium of various speeches that Angela Davis had given during a time frame of maybe ten, eight to ten years. And so she says uh, in chapter four, as I mourn the passing of Nelson Mandela, I offer my deep gratitude to all of those who kept the anti-apartheid struggle alive for so many decades, for all the decades that it took to finally rid the world of the racism and repression associated with the system of apartheid. This is the context within which I join with you once more to intensify campaigns against another regime of apartheid and in solidarity with the struggles of the Palestinian people. As Nelson Mandela said, we know too well that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinians. That's Angela Davis. That's beautiful. That's, that's powerful. Yeah, that, that just kind of sat with me for the last several months. Um, anyway, as I was reading this book, but what are you reading that has sat with you or spoken to you, challenged you, changed you that you'd like to share with our listeners? What I'm reading right now for fun uh, is <laughs> fun. Oh my goodness! Is Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter, Warlord of Mars, uh, which is quite fascinating because it was written at the turn of the century, and a lot of the societal norms have changed, including about slavery and things of that nature. So it's quite fascinating to see it from that context. The book I wanted to share a little about was called The Ungrateful Refugee. It was written by an Iranian. Uh, girl who left right after 79, after the revolution. Uh, and it's quite fascinating because it tells their whole story of her, her and her brother and her mom. Her dad stayed, he was a doctor. Uh, and their whole journey through uh, Europe uh, to England and finally to America, they ended up in Oklahoma. But the point of the book is, I had a good life. I come here 
And this one woman turned to her in church and said, aren't you grateful to be here? And she was kind of like, no, I want my old life back. She was still, you know, underage. And kind of recognized that, you know, sometimes we think we're doing so many great things. These people have suffered. And obviously the whole Iranian situation came about because we installed the Shah in Iran and created the environment that led to that revolution. And so recognizing that refugees don't necessarily have to be grateful that it's a moral obligation to support other humans who are struggling. I thought that was kind of a fascinating take on that whole idea because I've, I've said the same thing. Aren't you glad you're here? Hmm. That's interesting, and I wonder, will we ever have Palestinian refugees in the United States? Well, Not according to DeSantis. Oh, good Lord. This <laughs> oh, election Lord. coming up. We've got work to there do. There are Palestinian <laughs> refugees all over the world. And, and there the are a diaspora. lot of Palestinians here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Maria, what book have you read or are you reading that's spoken to you, changed you, challenged I love you? that. Thank you. Um, I teach yoga and I uh, focus on trauma-sensitive yoga, especially when I go to Gaza. Um, there's one that sticks out to me that I've read for a second time. I just finished it for a second time. The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, he's a, a doctor from Austria, from Europe somewhere, and he, he wrote this a while ago, but it's brilliant. It's about how things that happen to us emotionally, spiritually, take up residence physically in our bodies. Wow, that's so true. Trauma takes up residence physically in our bodies somewhere. This yeah. trauma we go through, this psychological, this, these, you know. So, so when I go to Gaza, I focus on trauma sensitive yoga because it's it's crazy how you see where trauma lives in in the body, and it's it's um. It's a it's amazing to be able to work a little bit with people to help get that release a little bit, or so or get to know your body or get to know yourself a little bit. It's not make things less scary. Yeah, I mean that brings to mind the mental health. Mm -hmm. I mean exactly experiencing all this trauma. Yeah. yeah, it's one. It's all connected. Mental, physical, spiritual health, and also um, I was reading. I read a lot of books. Um, I was reading. Uh, a novel, but I quit when everything started because now my time is consumed with um, what I need to do, what's in front of me for work and whatever, and then also keeping up with what's happening in Gaza. So, What do you suggest for regular, everyday people out here in our community and in communities around the Midwest particularly um, how, what can they do to learn more? I know Maria, you mentioned alternatives, news sources and media sources. What else can people do to promote peace, to educate themselves? What do you suggest? Well, I'm going to say absolutely Al Jazeera and a lot of those other sources. Um, our media, for lack of a better term, is very whitewashed and, um, there is an agenda there. And so you have to be very aware of that. I, there are Arabs everywhere in this country. Um, we need to find ways to connect human beings to human beings. We need conversations. Uh, there are organizations here in Iowa, in Des Moines, that connect to Palestinian rights, that try to work with that. Seek those out. Go find out. Go listen to the people who've lived it. Go, go talk to them and hear what they have to say. You don't have to agree with everything. But let's have a conversation. We've lost the ability to have a conversation with people we disagree with in this country. And we've got to get back to that. That's that's what that's what our strength is 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 our melting pot of ideas and people and and re religions and and you know racial backgrounds. When we lose that, we become bland and boring, and we don't don't have anything to offer. So we we go out and find people, humanity, human people to talk to and learn their experiences. Some good books to start with about the Israeli-Palestinian issue. Um, I came up with a whole big list of, of sources that I used to give out, and I intentionally did it to start with, um, like, Israeli and Jewish voices because that seemed like a place where people would be more comfortable entering. Sure. So I'll start with those, and then I'll name some Palestinian authors. Ilan Pape, I-L-A-N, last name P-A-P-P-E. He is an Israeli scholar who's living in exile somewhere 
Europe, I believe. No? Um, and he's written some wonderful books. Um, the Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine comes to mind. Noam Chomsky, N-O-A-M, Dr. Chomsky, brilliant man. He's written 120, no, I a think lot of some, books. Yeah, a lot of books. Um, <laughs> he's written about it. He came to his feelings on um, Palestine and Israel while living on a kibbutz um, when he was like a teenager, early 20s. Um, Elon Pope and Noam Chomsky have written a book together right after um, the 2014 war on Gaza. I can't remember the name of it. Just Google these names. Search these names. Elon Pope, Noam Chomsky, Gideon Levy, um, Miko Pellet. P-E-L-E-D. He wrote The General's Son. I, I've met him personally. He's a wonderful human. He, his father um, was the general, Israeli general, who led the 1967 war. Wow. Um, and he is, he's got a lot to say. Mm. Follow these people on social media as well. Um, as far as Palestinian voices, Edward Said, S-A-I-D, um, Mahmoud Darwish is was a famous Palestinian poet. I got to visit. There's a whole museum in his honor in Ramallah. I got to see in his his work is also in the Yasser Arafat Museum there. It's beautiful. Um, who else am I forgetting? You're way ahead of me right now. <laughs> um, That's a great someone, list. I, I can send you more. Thank you. And we'll add all of that to the show notes. I appreciate both of you, Thank Sammy, you. Maria, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Absolutely. It's just been eye-opening. Um, I can't thank you enough. We have been in community with Sammy Elbaruti and Maria Reves in this eye-opening conversation on the Israel-Hamas war, a.k.a. genocide, from the perspective of allies of Palestinian people. As I said in the last episode, this war, this conflict, is a global conflict that deserves our reflection and ongoing dialogue. I encourage you to do that. And please keep learning from a variety of voices and viewpoints. Our guests have given you great suggestions also. This is Black and Privileged in America podcast, and I'm your host, Abana Sankofa. Subscribe, leave a review, and share with your colleagues and friends. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies. Amplified.